Hello, and welcome to the HRD Live podcast. This week, I was joined by Jenny Bird and Sarah Gornall, authors of How to Work with People and Enjoy It. The three of us discussed the power of intuition, the secrets of the mind and body empowering workplace success, and how people leaders can help their colleagues to feel empowered through intuition. Jenny and Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us today. So, first things first, why is it that, why is intuition so crucial to workplace success then? (laughs) Uh, Because we work with people. We don't work just with data. We work with all those amazing vicissitudes of hearts and minds and guts and the ways in which people interact. Um, And we're not just thinking machines. Of course. So if I was a, a business leader, say, and I wanted to help people I work with be more intuitive and try to engage more in that way. How, how could I help people to, to engage their intuition more? Well, I think we might go back a step because you asked about why intuition was so important. There's right. quite a lot of answers to that. Okay. Um, and one of them, I guess, a leader could help their, their people engage with intuition if they, first of all, understood it and then um, gave people examples of how they were using intuition in their decision-making um, and talked about it so that it was okay to talk about intuition. Because what, what researchers told us is that when complex decisions are made, they're much wiser and more complete decisions if you access all the information that's available to you. Mm-hmm. So that's using your cognitive processes, the logical analytical bits that we traditionally cite in the head. Um, it's using information from your heart, which is about feelings and emotions, and from your gut, which is about identity, self-preservation, and mobilization. And, and we tend to think um, that we need to use the brain to work our way through problems. It's really effective in doing technical things. But when you're in adaptive and complex situations, you need to use all parts of the information that your body can give you. Right. And we've, they've also discovered that if you only use the brain in decision making, you're likely to make more unethical decisions. And deceive people more okay (laughs) interesting and what was really important about that in the workplace I mean quite apart from the ethics if you want to be an ethical (laughs) leader is that um, people who are surveyed about whether they trust their leaders and they will give their their effort to follow them um, rate integrity as being the most important aspect of the leader Um, and if they think the leader is deceiving them then they're not going to rate the integrity high. So they're going to get disaffected. And then you don't get their discretionary effort. You don't get their buy-in. You don't get their belief in what you're doing. Um, So there's some really powerful stuff. And we now know that there are uh, neural pathways in the heart and the gut which are connected with the brain. So thinking, what we call thinking, literally goes on in three centres in the body. So how does how does that operate then? If I, you know, wanted to improve, say, how my gut thinks or how intuitive my gut is, how would I go about doing that? I think you'd have to start by by believing it, by not being hooked on that thing about great leaders are great technicians and they're just thinkers and it's all rational and data driven. You have to let in the belief that we make great decisions with our gut, that we have instincts. Well, we call them instincts. We know, we can see the physiology of them now, but we have what we think of as instincts, which are powerful and true. And something about often the way we've 
educated people and created leaders has led us to kind of repress that and say, well, I can prove this with evidence. Right. So I suppose leaders are kind of missing an entire part of engaging with their, their workforce, I suppose. Well, right? not all of them. <laughs> not all of them. <laughs> not all that we should stress. And, um, <laughs> Maybe not every single one. So uh, it, it seems that analysis... So there's a great article which is uh, available on the internet um, through Sage Open Publishing, which is written by some people called Susalu, Henwood and Deo. So Excellent I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying this because some people um, I was talking to someone uh, yesterday about thinking with your heart and he and the heart brain and he was going oh woo woo stuff here I'm really a bit skeptical about this so the research has been around um, and has been getting increasingly robust and detailed and interested interesting over the last three decades um, and this article is is really great sort of summary of what's out there. Fantastic. So in writing the book then, How to Work with People and Enjoy It, what, what was the what was the initial, I suppose, seed or inspiration that was kind of, you, you realised that intuition just isn't being accessed in the workplace? You know? we, we work with pretty senior leaders in a whole range of organisations and we've been at it for years. And I guess one of the things we notice is that people are repeatedly bringing us the same puzzles and queries about how to get on with other people, how to make decisions in a board, how to bring a group with them, how to get the team to follow them. And and there are the things that we notice as being gaps in those are connecting with other parts of our processes other than the thinking. You know, the, <laughs> I remember a leader uh, apparently welcomed me, me to somewhere at once. Um, he didn't shake my hand. He didn't look me in the eye. I'd driven for two hours to get there. He turned on his heel and said, follow me. We went to his room. We had a two-hour meeting. Um, and then he took me back to my car for another two-hour drive without asking me if I wanted a drink or a loo uh, <laughs> or, or anything else. And there's a, you know, if he's doing that to his teams all the time because he's trying to stay in the data, he's obviously not going to be a very successful leader. He's only accessing part of what could make his, his workforce as successful as they could be, I Absolutely. suppose. Right? Absolutely. It's, it's plugging into the entirely logical or, or brain-focused side of things yeah. as opposed to another yeah. part. I, it, it seems that there is a school of thought that business leaders have to be that way, that that's the way that a CEO is. You're a leader who is you know, just ruthlessly looking at the bottom line and you don't really have the time, I suppose, to engage with people in that way. And, yeah. and Is that something easy to change, do you think? Can well, we switch I, from that? I think you can do it. I was going to say um, that it, there's been research which shows that men are more likely to prefer that approach. Right. And women are more likely to actually admit to using other ways of arriving at decision making mm -hmm. or getting different perspectives on a problem. Um, and it is possible to change it. And people are now talking about something called IA. You know, we've got AI, artificial right. intelligence. So maybe this is the latest incoming acronym. Okay. IA, it's called Interoceptive Awareness. And I had to look up interoceptive in the dictionary to find out what it meant. I have no idea what it means. <laughs> and it's, it's about being in aware of the stimuli that are going on in your body. Right, okay. And we've often um, censored that out of ourselves, like Jenny just said. So uh, helping people to be aware of what's going on in their body. And when we are coaching people, we sometimes talk about what's going on in our body because that's useful data about the relationship mm -hmm. um, and it helps to surface things that are going on underneath the surface. 
It's it's similar to, I suppose, this idea which is so prevalent now of, of mindfulness and being more mindful and taking the time to be present in a sense. And I, we had another podcast recently where we discussed exactly that, which mm. is that being more mindful in the workplace it can also be a huge driver of success because you don't become too focused on these ruthlessly kind of, I suppose, business-minded might be the catch-all term, but logical ways of thinking because you have to force yourself to be present in that moment and more aware of yourself and there, there in doing, you become yes. more aware of others, yes. I suppose, yes. at the same time. Uh, oh, I was, I was going to rewind to a question that you asked about how, how working with people and Jen is talking about coaching leaders. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also come out of the mistakes that we made when we were managers <laughs> and leaders. And okay, well, from what, that. what were they? What were those mistakes? They're very often uh, assumptions and... Um, sometimes appointing people who we had a gut feeling uh, actually wasn't going to do particularly well in the post but cognitively they seemed to tick all the boxes interesting and i suppose one difficulty you might face there is that how how can you you measure that gut feeling because you might think i have a gut feeling often where i think okay i just don't feel quite right about this person or or this particular project we're embarking on but i can't really i can't give a sort of measured uh, oh this is this percent of my gut feeling is telling me this so we shouldn't whereas how, how do you voice that how do you make that gut feeling known to your team and your workforce in a way that they're going to go okay you know what like this the gut feeling's right even though this person looks right for the role maybe we shouldn't hire them how on earth do you go about that i think that's just a great a great thing you bring up there which is how can we voice it we all we, we all we can all do the gut feelings we can all walk into a room and know the people in it have just had a row even though we haven't heard it of course we can do that so when we i mean i think there is something about mindfulness about allowing yourself the space to be attuned to the thoughts that pass through your head which are just passing thoughts and other things are going on you allow yourself that and then you do find a way to voice it and I think in your situation you were giving there where you know I know this this isn't right but it but they appear to tick all the boxes so I shouldn't say anything maybe if we're able to out it and say look I'm I'm just not yet comfortable with this comfortable is a kind of gut word isn't it then there's the potential to ask that person or query that project in different ways to use different questions to put different scenarios maybe to set up some interaction which gives us another perspective but it's letting that idea in or that feeling in in the first place um, rather than just going no 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 these are boxes I must tick we will you know, we will do the cognitive piece right in- yeah. so it might be for instance that you might ask questions about how people might relate with other people in the team and how they draw them in so if you were talking mm. about if you were talking about someone's attitude to decision making and they just said this is how I make a decision blah, 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 right. <laughs> and you're feeling oh, a bit screwed up inside and you're not quite sure what it is interesting you might actually stop stand uh, step back for a moment pause like Jenny said and then maybe ask some questions about and how might you involve other people or get other perspectives on this and what would be the iterative process mm-hmm. so that if they are uneasy with that iterative process and that you know you find out that they just like making analytical snap decisions and ride over everyone else roughshod mm-hmm. then you'd have some evidence maybe for you know, not appointing them and so. I think we've got better haven't we we used to do just interviews years ago uh, and and now I think we've got very much better at assessment processes which involve doing the task working in a group hmm. um, responding in emotional ways and and all sorts of other things so that we aren't 
just usually just focusing on on the cognitive we are seeing people in action so i was going to ask actually so in your uh, work you've done working coaching uh, leaders and, and co- yeah, their colleagues and mm-hmm. trying to help them to engage more what have the processes been that you've had to put people through to, to, to help them to do that? And what have the major pushbacks been as well? What have the you know have there been leaders who've just they've just seemed completely obstinate and unable to engage? We well, couldn't no. possibly comment. You can make, you don't have to give names. No, it's, it's, so I've sometimes worked with people on gravitas, mm-hmm. um, um, and what that is and how they assume it, and it always involves work with the body. So they may feel quite confident in describing um, uh, a decision that they've made or uh, actions that they want someone to follow through when they're sitting in a room and they've rehearsed it and they're only looking at me. Right. But if we do a bit of role play and I act as someone who might be in competition with them or maybe somewhere further up the food chain um, and get them to stand up while I'm sitting down, or vice versa, Mm -hmm. Um, they will say the same message with their voice and subtle changes will come about in the way they hold their head, uh, the way they stand, um, the inflection of their voice, and all that will give me a message of uncertainty and often Mm permission-seeking. Right, how interesting. It's almost like a total reprogramming almost of the sort of leader droid. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of making them into something slightly different. Yeah, and you asked about learning, so then feedback's important, isn't it? Of course, Getting them to notice, and if they don't notice, giving them feedback and replaying and so on. And, And I think we do some of this naturally. We can just allow ourselves to do more. So when somebody says something to you and you're not convinced about it, I mean, we do say to each other in the moment, and once more with feeling, or mm-hmm. really, uh, or they'll say something and we go, and it appears to be positive, and we're not convinced, and we go, but we all know when the feeling isn't with the words, we can just use that more. And I suppose it's helping people to use language effectively, I, I suppose, as well, because you can give an instruction and you can be quite, I suppose, deliberate in the way that you're giving that instruction to somebody and make it quite forceful, but if they don't feel fully engaged with you as a person, they're probably going to be reticent to do it. Well, I'm probably going to do it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this task or my team will perform this task in you know the least you know, in an effective way as opposed to in a way where i feel fully engaged with all of myself in, in doing that time. absolutely i mean for instance we know that fear is a great motivator for a very brief period of time well, that's it it's fragile right yeah. that's it shortly I, short you know shortly after that people find ways to if the, in a fear situation if that's from the leader they find ways to get round it and subvert it and do all it things they've been told not away, to yeah i suppose, yeah. Yeah. I suppose fear this... comes from the gut yeah. and and right. uh, and that's where you know we tend to think that all the neurons the nerve cells and the connections are up there in the brain fear comes from the gut and there's hundreds of millions of i don't know how many okay <laughs> i don't know how many i would have thought but, quite a few yeah, yeah and, we can safely say lots <laughs> and in and in the heart when the heart muscle unwraps it's absolutely enormous it's like an untwined rope Mm-hmm. Um, and the messages go up the vagus nerve along the spine into the brain and they go that way much faster than they come down the other way so what our heart and our gut are telling us tend to hit first before the cognitive rational process kicks in mm-hmm. like yeah. said. so we ignore it at our peril yeah and mm-hmm. sometimes we have to work on that as well because of course we work with people who will 
hit out in anger or fear in a meeting inappropriately and then because then you get a sort of chain reaction right. with the other people so we're working both ways up that yeah pathway up being able to manage that response because yeah. it's so easy to and rudeness is obviously usually just a sort of expression of fear isn't yeah. it it's kind of you're worried you're not going to get what you want or you feel being, being threatened yeah and you sort of react in a certain way so in this reprogramming we seem to be doing to some extent it seems that empathy is a hugely important thing and it's separate I suppose, from intuition, right? Intuition, there seems to be this huge physiological mm. component to that. Whereas empathy seems to be an important part of what you're saying as well. Do we need to train leaders to be more empathetic? And, and how can we do that? Because I think there must be a huge business impact as well to being more empathetic in that way, on the bottom line I at think the end of the day. A, it's interesting that you're separating them. I think there's a, there's a, a colossal connection, mm. which is that empathy is the sensing of how it is for the other person, isn't it? So if, we're, if somebody's becoming more intuitive and more able to know that they are responding with their heart and their gut, they've got more scope to be recognising that the person they're working with or talking to is also responding in those ways. They've got more scope to notice you know, <laughs> that the other person's crying. Right, for instance or or shaking or looking miserable or not looking confident or or all those other things I think I think it's about being able to stand in the other person's shoes and to get a perspective from their point of view Mm -hmm. rather than assuming that your own point of view is the only one and the right one of course right and And I think it comes back to that what we were talking about before about how the sort of mechanisms and and philosophies behind how businesses run now and how leaders should be almost uh, count, they sort of block that out in a way because it's like you don't have time to do it in a sense it's your role is to manage this team but of course being able to do that and place yourself in someone's shoes and allowing them the space to be I suppose to use a kind of catch-all phrase that's common at the moment be themselves at work and mm. bring that whole self to work would be hugely beneficial mm. if you give yourself the time to do it and to be more empathetic. Very interesting. I worked in the MOD at one stage doing some coach training for managers in the MOD and I Mm. remember the very first session and we did an example coaching and there was a lot of emotion in there and quite a big voice in the room afterwards saying this wasn't about work and the the coach said well it was all about work and because the emotion had been generated by talking about a work situation and the impact on her. By the end of the series of sessions, they were all saying, these hardened ex-soldiers that I was working with, actually, it is about you do bring your whole self to work. Of course. And again, it's really interesting how they've just, in that conversation, been totally divided. Emotion and work, which surely, if you're going to be your most effective self, they should be entirely intertwined in some way. And I think if we want to find a vested interest here, if you are engaging the other person, you know, leaders often say I haven't got time for this and I haven't got time for that if you're engaging the other person if you're really talking to them and understanding them they are going to do more of the work you're going to get more of their better work Mm -hmm. so we don't have the time not to engage with the people we also know Sarah said earlier we know that much better decisions are made if we're engaging a lot of different perspectives. So they might be the perspectives within ourselves and they might also be the perspectives of lots of different people. The more diverse, the more varied, the more different backgrounds, the more different processes a group has to make a decision, the better the decision, the more stickable the decision. Of course. So um, earlier you talked about the leader and yes. how, it, how it's learnable. Um, and I think that sort of connects with, with our book really because part of the premise of the book is about developing your own self-awareness as a leader and that being pivotal. You know, leaders often want to control what's going on 
And actually mm -hmm. the person they can control most and really only control is themselves internally. You've preempted somehow my what was going to be my final question, in fact, which is <laughs> the book. So how to work with people and enjoy it. Yeah. As you say, enjoyment seems to be a huge part of that development of a leader. But I was going to ask from the pair of you separately what your favorite sort of nugget of, of information is in there. Because there's a lot of research in there and a lot of kind of basis of, you know, research based stuff about like what creates a leader, how to create a good leader and stuff. <laughs> if you had to pick one and I'm just going to say one <laughs> for each of you, what, what, what would that be? What would, what would be your number one? Well, mine is the basic premise of the book, which is, you know, the only person okay. you can control is yourself. <laughs> Be aware that other people are different. Adapt and get on with it. Yeah, that was three, Sarah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it counts. We'll allow it. We'll allow that one. And, and Jenny? It's, it's something about just being okay with yourself. We're all, you are who you are. Know yourself. You know, we're, we're all flawed. We're not perfect. And we can also manage ourselves with others to be the best we can be. Fantastic. Jenny and Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. It's been absolutely fascinating and hopefully we'll have you again on a, after the next book, I suppose. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HRD Live podcast with Jenny Bird and Sarah Gornall. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe on hrdconnect.com or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for a new episode every week. See you next time.